Hear the word of the Lord. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing message of Christmas and the birth of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus. God, thank you for the time of worship we've already had together today. God, thank you for the sweet fellowship that we enjoy as the family of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we ask that as we consider now, once again, the Christmas story, that God, you would minister to each and every one of us, that even as I prayed earlier, our hearts would be drawn to love you more and to worship you more as we meditate on the good news of the Christmas story. So God, bless us now in your holy word. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. This Christmas season, I did something that, to be honest, I haven't done in a very long time. I rewatched a Charlie Brown Christmas. Evidently, lots of other people did as well, because as of yesterday, it was like number four on Hulu. But I haven't done that since I was a little kid, and it's a great story. It's only like a half hour long. I would encourage you to watch it. But for all of you who have seen a Charlie Brown Christmas... You know that it's Linus, his friend, who ultimately gives Charlie Brown the answer to what we could call the million-dollar question toward the end of the film. When Charlie Brown asks this, he says, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And Linus responds by quoting the text that we've just read together, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And with that... Luke 2, 8 through 14, has arguably become the most well-known Christmas scripture in America. One of the dangers, of course, in preaching from such a familiar text is it can cause those of us who have heard this story so many times to kind of tune it out, to lose focus, maybe even doze off. Makes me think of the Sunday school teacher who asked his class, can anyone tell me why we need to be quiet in church? A little girl raised her hand and said, yeah, because people are sleeping. So the little eyes are watching you when you fall asleep in church. So of course there is a little bit of a risk in preaching a familiar Christmas text like this. But I believe there's also a really, really great possibility of reward because Linus was exactly right. Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 14 get to the heart of what Christmas is all about. And so we're going to adopt and adapt Charlie Brown's question ever so slightly for our sermon title today. You'll see it on the screen. It is, What Christmas 
is all about. Now let's just take a moment to sort of orient ourselves in Luke's gospel. Notice our reading came from chapter 2, not chapter 1. So he's already been setting up his gospel. And in the paragraph right above what we've read for today, which is Luke 2, 1 through 7, we read there about the birth of Jesus. He's born in the town of Bethlehem. He's wrapped in swaddling cloth and then he's placed in a manger because there was no room for him in the... I told you this was familiar territory. There was no room for him in the inn, so he's placed in a feeding trough. Verse 8 picks up this story by now pivoting our attention away from the manger and Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus to the fields that are surrounding the town of Bethlehem where we find shepherds who are keeping watch over their flock. Let's reread verses 8 and 9. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The life of a shepherd at this time was pretty drab, to say the least. I don't imagine there was much to discuss with the wife when he came home from work every day. How was your day, she would ask. Okay. Did anything exciting happen? Nope. Just the same thing every single day. You're watching the sheep. They're eating grass, drinking water, laying down for a nap, day in and day out, over and over and over. It was a monotonous job. Definitely not exciting. And on this first Christmas, we notice that these particular shepherds are working the night shift. They're out in the evening, in the cold, keeping watch over the flocks. And then suddenly, their very mundane, very boring, very monotonous job is interrupted in the most sensational way. An angel from heaven appears to them. And notice their initial reaction is one of fear. That's a common thing we see in the scriptures when people encounter angels it strikes fear into their heart. These are spiritual and glorious beings. But as we look back to the text, we see that the angel's intention here in showing up on this night was not to instill fear in the hearts of these shepherds, but rather to instill hope in the hearts of these shepherds. Look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. That's not his purpose. I'm not trying to terrify you. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now we can begin to answer the question that is the title of this sermon. What is Christmas all about? Well, here's one way that we can answer that question. What is Christmas all about? Well, Christmas is about God's good news for the whole world. Christmas is about God's good news for the whole world. I said a moment ago that the life of a shepherd at this time was pretty drab. But the lives of these shepherds pretty well mirrored life in Israel as a whole at this time. Because life for the Jewish nation during this period of their history was pretty drab. The Jews had been under Roman occupation now for some time. 
They were not in control of their own country. They were not in control of their own fate. The Romans heavily taxed them. Life was challenging. Added to that, the Jewish nation had experienced 400 years of silence from heaven. The people who had received the very oracles of God, the people who had received the Ten Commandments, the people who received the scriptures now sat in silence for centuries. Added to that, it had been nearly a thousand years, a millennium, since they were their own strong and independent kingdom. And so Israel at this time, 2,000 years ago, is a far cry from the glory days of when King David or his son King Solomon ruled and reigned from the city of Jerusalem. And so for the average Jew, like these poor shepherds, the world didn't seem to be getting better, but probably it felt like it was getting worse. And I think that there are a lot of people who can relate to that sentiment even today, even in places like America. Right? If you look at our news cycle, our constant diet is negative news. Everything feels awful around us. There's war in Europe. There's war in the Middle East. There's a surge in the flu and RSV and COVID. We're experiencing runaway inflation, mass shootings, housing shortages. There's a migrant crisis at our border and on and on and on. And so for a lot of people, we're looking at the world and we're going, man, it does not seem to be getting better. We're in need of some good news. And so like the people of Israel 2,000 years ago, many people today are craving some sort of announcement of good news, something to cheer about, something positive and hopeful to happen. And so I believe an angel announcing good, good news is as welcome to our weary world as it was to theirs. So let's consider together then this announcement of good news. What is the good news of Christmas? Well, the good news is this. Get this. A baby was born. That was the announcement. You see it right there in the text. It says, for unto you is born this day. This angel comes and says, I've got great news for you. And it's that there was a baby that was just born. Now for us as a church family, 2023 was a year where we saw a bit of a baby boom. We've had numerous children born in this church. Uh, some of you have had grandchildren born here and in other places around the country, which is just awesome. And there are more babies to come in the very near future. Every baby born is good news. It's exciting for the family. It's exciting for the friends. But I think we can all agree, even you brand new first-time parents can agree, that it would be a bit outrageous to say of your baby, my baby is good news for the whole world. My baby is good news for everybody on planet Earth, all seven billion of us. That's a little over the top, even for first-time parents. But notice that's exactly what's said about this baby. That this baby's birth was actually good news, not just for Mary and Joseph, not even just for the town of Bethlehem. This was good news for the whole entire world. And the reason why that's not outrageous comes down to who this baby is and what this baby came to accomplish. This child is no ordinary child. This baby would be Israel's, you see it in the text, Savior. He'd be a Savior. Now, the word there, Savior, can also be translated deliverer. 
And boy, was this what they were looking for. The Israelites, the Jewish nation, they were looking for a deliverer. So what welcome news this must have been to these shepherds that are standing out in the field. And what good news it was for the nation. As I mentioned a moment ago, the Jewish people at this time were under Roman rule. And so God's people were looking and expecting and hoping against all odds that God would actually send them a deliverer. Like the judges of old, people like Samson and Gideon and others, who when God's people were oppressed by the Midianites or by other foreign powers, God would raise up these deliverers who would drive those enemies out and reestablish Israel strong and secure. And so God's people 2,000 years ago are going, maybe we can get that again. God, send us another deliverer. And it wasn't wrong for them to have that hope. For centuries at this point, the prophets of Israel had spoken of God, uh, God's coming deliverer who was called the Messiah in Hebrew, which in Greek is the Christ. So there was this promised Christ that the prophets were speaking about over and over and over. And this Christ was going to be, listen, Israel's greatest deliverer of all. He was going to sit on David's throne. And he was going to make God's kingdom stretch not just over the Middle East, but actually stretch over the whole entire world. What a thrill of hope these shepherds must have felt as this announcement of a baby being born who is their savior, their deliverer, and the Christ. But here's the catch. Little did these shepherds know that the deliverance, the salvation that the Christ would actually bring into the world was so much better than deliverance from the Romans. Because guess what? Even if they're delivered from the Romans... It's only going to be a matter of time until somebody else comes and takes them over. A few centuries later, the barbarians from the north, from Europe, would come down and smash Rome to pieces. So people needed a bigger, a more lasting deliverance and salvation. And that's exactly what the Christ, Jesus, brought into the world. Here's what was said to Joseph concerning the baby Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people, listen, from their sins. When John the Baptist first sees Jesus and lays eyes on him, in John 1, 29, he announces this. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So friends, the good news of Christmas is that Jesus came to save us from our sins. All of us will give and receive gifts, either tonight or tomorrow or both, depending on your family's traditions. And that's wonderful. It's, it's good for us to bless those that we love and to give gifts to each other. But as Christians, we know that our gift giving that we're doing at Christmas time is meant to remind us of the gift that God has given, not just to us, but to the entire world. The gift of his one and only son. Again, John 3.16 speaks of this. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gifted his own son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
This is the good news of Christmas. Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, and he came to save us from our sins. But don't miss the very end of verse 11. Look back at it with me. He says in verse 11, that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. That word Lord can also be translated master. It can be boss. It can be sovereign. Okay, It is the person with highest authority. It's the one in charge of whatever the it is that we're talking about. And this text is telling us that Jesus, this little child, this newborn baby, is actually the Lord. He's the one in charge. He's the sovereign. This explains why when the three wise men come and visit the little boy Jesus over in Matthew chapter 2, they get there and these grown men who are wealthy, intellectuals, and powerful, they fall down, this is Matthew 2.11, and they worship him. It is lie down prostrate, or prostate rather. That'd be weird to lie down prostrate. They lie down prostrate. Wait. No, it would be right to lie down prostrate. What is in this thing? It is right to lie down prostrate. But only men could lie down prostrate. We're good. We're going to move on. I wish I had outtakes from all of my sermons through the years where we just strung like 10 minutes of those together. Oh, how fun. Okay. But we can all admit this is an odd scene to see these grown men over in Matthew and they're bowing down and worshiping a little child. One of the shows that Erica and I have have really grown to love in this past year is The Crown on Netflix. Uh, We love history. And like so many other people, we've really just enjoyed how well that, that series has been done. But for an American like me, it does feel awkward when you're watching these grown men and women, other very powerful people in the nation, and they're bowing their head to royal children. It just feels weird. It's like in our culture, we don't do that. Like we honor the older people and we honor people that are in positions of authority but they're bowing their heads before royal children. And it feels weird to me. But it's entirely appropriate when you stop and think about it because the reason why they do that in countries that have sovereigns is because those people have authority. It's because of their status and their position. They're the sovereigns or the lords of Great Britain. And so people pay them homage because of who they are. Notice the wise men do the same thing to Jesus because of who he is. The baby in the manger is the Lord of all the earth. He's in charge. It means he's in charge of the world. It means he's in charge of our lives. And it means we don't get to tell him what to do. He tells us what to do. I heard a story about a little boy who really badly wanted a new bike for Christmas. But as he thought about it, he knew, I haven't been very good this year, so there's no chance I'm going to get it. So he was brainstorming in his room and he thought, you know what, I'm just going to write a letter to Jesus and see if I can still get a bike. And so he takes out a pencil and a piece of paper and he writes down, dear Jesus, if I get a bike for Christmas, I'll be good for a whole week. (laughs) And then he sat and he thought about it and he was like, 
I can't be good for a whole week. So he scratches it out and he writes, Dear Jesus, if I get a bike for Christmas, I'll be good for a whole five days. But then he sat and he thought about that. He was like, who am I trying to kid? I, I can't be good for five days. So he crossed that out and he wrote, I'll be good for three days. And feeling satisfied, he began to fold up the letter and he was going to stick it into the envelope. Until he sat back and he thought, I can't do it. Who am I trying to kid? I can't even be good for one day. So frustrated, he runs downstairs to the nativity set. He grabs Mary. He runs back up to his bedroom and he puts her under his bed. He picks up his pencil and he grabs the paper and he writes, Dear Jesus, if I don't get a bike for Christmas, you'll never see your mother again. <laughs> Sorry, little guy, that's not how it works. We need to be reminded that the fact that Jesus is Lord means that we don't get to boss Jesus around. We don't get to tell Jesus what to do or what not to do. He's in charge. And we learn as the scriptures connect Jesus as the Christ and Lord over and over again like they're doing here, that in order for us to receive Jesus as our Savior means we also receive Jesus as Lord. He takes control of our lives. He becomes our master. So Christmas is about God's good news. And God's good news is that he sent his son into the world to save us from our sins. That's the headline. But as we begin to wind down now, I want us to see three things in this text about this good news that make it so unbelievably great. There's three things that I want to point out. The first is this, and I've been saying this, but let's meditate on it momentarily. God's good news is for all the people. Notice with me that in verse 10, the angels come first here to shepherds. They, are, they make this announcement of good news to shepherds. Now, shepherds, of course, were low class Shepherds were, in some senses, sort of outcasts of the society. They were outsiders, very low on the social totem pole. And yet, God's good news breaks into the world as an announcement to those people. And then notice that as we get into some of the other gospel stories about Christmas, we learn that God's good news also came to three wise men in the East. These people couldn't have been more different than these shepherds. These people were wealthy, they were intellectuals, and they were foreigners, and yet God's news came to them. We also see that God's good news came to John the Baptist's father, who was a priest serving in the temple. And so what we learn as we connect all these stories is that truly God's good news is for everybody. It doesn't matter your country of origin, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, it doesn't matter your heart language, it doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, it doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated, it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, a man or a woman, if you're young or you're old, none of that matters. God's good news is for everybody, it's for every single person in the world. And the implication then is that we ought to receive it. This good news came for people just like you and people just like me, whoever you happen to be, because this good news is for all kinds of people. We ought to receive it. But we can't stop there. There's one more implication. 
Not only should we receive it, but we also ought to share it. If it's true that God's good news is for all the people, then we should not be hoarders with the good news of the gospel. And we see this modeled for us with these first shepherds who received the good news. We didn't read this, but I'll read it for you. Luke 2, 17 and 18. So in the next paragraph, when they saw it, when who? When the shepherds saw it, the Christ child, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So they received God's good news, and they immediately told others the good news that they had been given. And again, this is a great model for us. If we, like these shepherds, have received God's good news ourselves, we have an obligation to then go and share that good news with other people. Because the good news is not just for us, it's for the whole world. Okay, second thing. Also in verse 10. God's good news brings great joy. God's good news brings great joy. I wonder how you would rate your joy right now. How would you rate your joy right now? If I had a joy meter, which for the record is not a real thing, but you can think of this, think of a stud finder, okay, you know how these work, right? You take these and you put it up against a wall, you push the button and slide it across the wall. When it goes over a stud, it begins to beep. Oh, there's the stud, okay? I won't do the dad joke. All the dads are already thinking it right now. You guys know the dad joke? You pull it. Yeah, you know Sandra. I won't do the dad joke. That's not what this is for. I won't even tell the dad joke. Imagine, though, that this is a joy meter and not a stud finder. And I just go walking through every, every uh, seat in the sanctuary this morning, and I'm holding the button, and I'm just passing over every single person in here. If you're being honest with yourself this morning, as the joy meter passed in front of you, would it go off? Do you feel joyful right now? Are you filled with joy in your life right now? Now, some of you would probably say, yes, this thing's going to go nuts because I'm very, very joy right now, joyful right now. 2023 has been a wonderful year for me. Maybe you got married. Maybe you had a baby. You're one of the people that we just talked about that have had a baby. Maybe some other wonderful life event has happened and things are great and you are feeling, feeling full of joy right now. That's wonderful. And it's good and it's right for you to feel that. We should praise God for that. As Christians, we can acknowledge that there is much in this world that causes joy, and we should give God glory for that. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 through 13 says this, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So if you're feeling joyful because you look at the circumstances of your life and things are going great, that's wonderful. Enjoy those things and give God glory for the good things you have. But here is the caution. If you are the person filled with joy this morning, do not put too much stock in those things that are producing joy for you right now. Why? Because everything that we derive joy from within creation is unstable. Money, 
your possessions, those things can be taken away from you. Your good health and able-bodiedness that you're enjoying right now, you can lose that. And it can happen like that. Relationships can end or even just change. You have children move away from you and go off to college or start a life somewhere else. Of course, somebody you love can die. Circumstances can change and hardship will come. Maybe that describes you today. Maybe when I ask the question about your joy level, you were sitting there saying, if, if the joy meter came across me, that thing's not going to beep. Life is really, really hard right now. 2023 has been awful for me. <clears throat> Part of the good news of Christmas is that God offers you joy in spite of your circumstances. God offers you joy in spite of your circumstances. What we all need, if we ever hope to truly be joyful people, is we need a source of joy that actually transcends the circumstances of our lives. A source of joy that cannot be taken away. And the only thing in all the world that is big enough to shoulder that weight is God himself. And what we find in the pages of scripture is that the one true God, the God we've been singing about this morning, is more than willing to bear the weight of it. In his loving kindness, he invites us to himself to fill our joy forever. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the message of Christmas is a message of joy because the baby Jesus came into the world to deal with our sin problem so that we could be forgiven and we could be reconciled to our God in whom is found fullness of joy. Jesus gives us the greatest gift and no one can ever take it away. Okay, third and final thing. God's good news brings abundant peace. Look again at verse 14. Here's what the heavenly host or the angelic choir has to say. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now the Greek word translated peace there means either peace or it means freedom from worry or it means welfare. And during his earthly ministry, Jesus promised that he would give that to us. His peace would be with us. Here's John 14, 27. Jesus says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Again, in John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Therefore, the arrival of the baby in the manger is, in a true sense, the arrival of lasting peace. Jesus gives us peace in at least three ways. First, Jesus gives us peace with God. 
a most important piece that we actually need. According to the Bible, our sin, the things that we have done that have offended God, the things that we have done that have offended other people that are made in the image of God, those things have created a separation between us and a holy and a righteous God. The scriptures even use the language of us being enemies of God because of our sin. We've put ourselves against God and we're awaiting God's judgment. But the good news of Jesus and the good news of Christmas is that through Jesus, we can have peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This reality deals with our sense of guilt. This reality also deals with our fear of judgment and our fear of death. If you have peace with God through Jesus, guess what? There's no judgment waiting for you. Jesus already took that judgment on the cross 2,000 years ago. When you die and you stand before God, your relationship with him is one of perfect peace. There's no anger. There's no judgment. There's peace. So Jesus provides peace with God. This leads to the second kind of peace. We can call this peace within. Internal peace. Isaiah, the prophet, in chapter 26, verse 3, writes this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. In Psalm 4.8 we read in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds In Christ Jesus. This deals with our anxiety and our worry about the future. Jesus gives us his peace because Jesus promises, I'm with you and I'll never leave you and I'll take care of everything that you're worried about. Finally, the third kind of peace that we receive in Christ is peace with others. Jesus establishes peace between people. We see this modeled most clearly in the church, among the people of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, we read, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Therefore, in Ephesians 4, Paul says that we should live with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so we read in the scriptures... That through Jesus, peace has been established in the church among fellow members of the body of Christ. I was having <clears throat> lunch recently with, with Vijay. And Vijay, I'm not going to say this exactly the way you said it. But we were having lunch and we were, we were talking about the, the beautiful diversity that exists at Apostles Church. 
And Vijay made a comment to the effect of, it's really amazing to think about how Jesus brings us into relationship with people that we would otherwise not connect with. And it's true. You look around the local church, and there are people that you probably don't have much or anything in common with, other than your shared identity in Christ. And so in Christ, there is peace and there's unity that's formed in the church, which actually becomes a model for the whole world. God's good news brings abundant peace. And we know as Christians that the peace that we experience right now is just a foretaste of the peace that we are going to enjoy when Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes again. So God's good news brings abundant peace great joy, and it's for all the people. Let me end with one final thought. Although God's good news is for all the people, it is only experienced by some people. Again, although God's good news is for all people, it is only experienced by some people. We see this in verse 14. It says, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this promised peace, and by extension, the joy, and by extension, the salvation, that this child, Jesus, would usher into the world is experienced only by those with whom God is well pleased. And so that begs the question, with whom is God pleased? Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The way we become pleasing to God is through faith in the Christ that he sent to save us. It's through putting our faith in Jesus to deliver us from all of our sins and to become the Lord of our lives who's going to lead us in all of God's blessings. That's who all of these wonderful Christmas promises belong to, the one who has faith. Friends, Christmas is about the greatest gift that was ever given. God gave his son to save us from our sins, but we must receive him by faith. We must trust him to be our Savior and Lord. And if we've done that, then we have experienced the true meaning of Christmas. Please pray with me. God, we do, again, just rejoice today in the good news of the gospel. This good news that an angel announced to these shepherds 2,000 years ago. This good news that unto us was born in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God, this is the most important news the world has ever received. And it is the only news that can ultimately give us lasting joy and lasting peace. We all need your forgiveness. We all need our sin dealt with. And we all need to be reconciled to our God who created us and loves us, and delights in us. And so, God, we thank you for sending Jesus to save us, and we pray that today, and tonight, and tomorrow, our hearts would just be worshipful 
as we consider all that you have done for us to bless us in these ways. We love you, we honor you, and we continue worshiping you now through song. In Jesus' name, amen.